HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Hannah Forden, and I'm here at the James Beard House for a special edition of Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are here for the Knockout of Knoxville, which is a dinner uh, showcasing four very talented chefs from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we are here thanks to our friends Springer Mountain Farms uh, and Visit Knoxville, who have made this event possible. And we're really looking forward to hearing uh, about the culinary scene in Knoxville, as well as what we'll be eating this evening. Um, I am here with Drew McDonald. Drew is the co-owner and chef at the Plaid Apron, which opened in 2011. Uh, he cones it with his wife, Bonnie. They serve a very ambitious three meals a day and have a full-service bakery. Um, the restaurant brings together a community of diners, farmers, and good food. Um, and I hear, Drew, that you started out getting your degree in systems management. So I was actually pre-med. I was actually pre-med. Um, realized real quick that the life in a library is not the best life for me. Very much an outdoor, hands-on, don't sit around very well sort of guy. Um, but then I s found out and switched my degree to food systems management and got a job at a restaurant, fell in love, went to culinary school, and here we are. The rest is history. The rest is a blink of an eye. Yeah, so you got into cooking for the, the pace of it, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed it. I mean, coming from born and raised in Middle Tennessee, um, I always said I had three sets of grandparents, um, one in Florida, two my great aunt and uncle, and my, uh, by my father's parents in Middle Tennessee. Always had a garden, both of them. We always had fresh eggs. I was Our canned vegetables were from them came in a mason jar they didn't you just can't open and pop that open so uh i was very blessed in that sense and i guess technically i've always just enjoyed cooking and been around it but never really thought of it as a career and then when you try to choose a career and the career doesn't choose you you just roll with it yeah yeah i think some people are just like destined to find their way to it especially when not. you grow up around food yes in, indeed yeah indeed um so I hear you spent some time before opening your restaurant uh, cooking in New Zealand. I did. Um, I mean, I've truthfully been very blessed from a culinary background from spending, you know, a little more than two years at Blackberry Farm and then got married while I was there. And my wife and I actually met in New Zealand. And I still to this day, if she gave me the thumbs up, we'd try and move back and do it all over again. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, we just uh, packed up and I was ready for a change and she was willing to roll with it. And uh, 
took a visa, a working visa for a year and didn't make it a year. We made it almost four months. Uh, we, we were young, ambitious, and very independently minded and said we weren't going to waste our time while we were there uh, as far as moving on in our career. And she is a horse trainer by trade, and we couldn't do food and horses in the same city, and we weren't going to live in the different cities in, on the other side of the world. So we packed it up and came home and moved back to Nashville. Yeah. I'm curious how, um, you know, I think in New Zealand, also just like in the southeast of the United States, there's a great deal of farms. And so I'm curious where the parallels are between like, I, the food culture and... You know, I had a really awesome foundation with Blackberry, but literally the, the three, three and a half months that I spent in New Zealand changed my life and my vision regarding food. Um, you know, we, I like, I like to consider the United States, there's a bunch of microclimates and a bunch of micro minds at the same time. We all have, you know, how we want things, how we do things. We're in America where food is cheap. Um, lots of shortcuts, sadly, are taken even with fresh produce. You know, a lot of times now, luckily, there's starting to be a lot more transparency with things, which is awesome. Um, but being in New Zealand, just that's that is the culture in the country, like as a whole. Um, you know, when the place I worked, stodged at a place in Nelson, which is on the northern end of the South, or yeah, northern end of the South Island, and uh, the gentleman there had worked for Marco Pierre White, which is crazy. There's, I mean, I think New Zealand is probably the most underrated country regarding food in the world, hands down. Um, pay attention people it's a good place Um, but it's just working with him for three days like really made me realize how much the importance of the relationship between the chef and the farmer was Um, when you're serving wine from two and a half miles down the road and you bring in that tour with your food and it, it, it was it was a game changer uh, I did not stay there I truthfully think it might have been the biggest mistake culinary wise um, but I was fortunate enough and got a job at Hookah Lodge which is right dead center in the North Island uh, there on Taupo and uh, Hookah Falls um, but even there it's the mindset you know you're I was in a country where the longest you're away from the ocean is three hours maybe so there was no such thing as shipping seafood um, it was caught the night before and at your doorstep the next day I mean there was no you know I do a I do a lot of business with seat to table and that's feel like they're much on the same mindset of coming straight from the dock and coming to them. I mean, the fishermen were bringing us the fish in the middle of New Zealand. I mean, it's not, and, and it was from that point, like that I made the decision then like, okay, this is, this is how it should be. Um, so this is, I'm either going to go down in flames or we're going to start a movement. And, uh, I'm excited where, you know, I moved back to Nashville after that, uh, worked at the Hermitage hotel, that was a fun experience, uh, but very quickly realized Nashville was kind of on the cusp of deciding that it wanted to no longer be Nashville and be a metropolitan area <laughs> as it is now. And it's the, the food scene's completely different now than it was when I was there. Uh, but the same thing, Hermitage had just acquired a farm, and they were really trying to push that movement. And when I came to Knoxville, first thing I did, uh, before we even opened the restaurant, I went to the farmer's market. I started forming relationships. Um, and now it's, you know, we've got everybody that's here tonight will use local produce and, and meats as, as much as they can. You know, I strive to generally speak in impromptu produce months, you know, about 90% of the stuff that I'm serving in my restaurant, I can tell you whose hands pulled it out of the ground. And well, you know, our, our pork comes from six and a half miles from the restaurant. Um, our beef is 18 miles from the restaurant. Um, and then I'm 
trying to use the best fish and traceable fish that I can. Uh, it's just, it's a neat to see the growth in the mindset and how our clients really want to know the stories too. It helps us out tremendously. I'm sure. And I mean, people are invested in supporting the community and knowing their farmers. I think right now, it, both the farm to table movement is gaining so much traction. And also I think Southern food is kind of having a renaissance right now. It, so it's a good fusion. Yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely is. And it, it's, I think Southern food's kind of getting a, getting a different name. I think people are realizing that Southern food's not, not necessarily fried chicken and cornbread and beans. Um, you know, we're definitely a lot of refinement. That's kind of how, uh, I take play on. I mean, I'm very much, I'm born and raised Tennessee, been there pretty much all my life. Um, but I not a huge fan of fried food. And I mean, let me rephrase that. I do enjoy eating my share, but, um, I really try to keep in mindset. Like I want people to be satisfied. I don't want people to be miserable and, uh, you know, I want them to come back and we've kind of taken that approach to how we do things, um, from education, you know, uh, my wife and I, when we talk about the restaurant, like our goal, even from the front end, is like Knoxville does not have a lot of this in town. So our goal, we're going to have to educate our clients because they're used to, I mean, Knoxville at one point in time was the number one per capita chain city in America. I think that's been within the last 10 years, if that tells you anything. Um, but now there's definitely a lot more independence and there's, I feel like there's a lot more desire to have food with, with, with a name and with a face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like, how would you describe the culinary scene in, in Knoxville? But it sounds like it's, it, the, the description is it's changing fast. It is changing fast. And you know, it's one of those things we've, I've, I feel like the plat apron was kind of on the front end of it. Uh, we were the first restaurant in town to just say, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it this way. And you know, it's sadly, not sadly, uh, we're going to do it the way that we want to do it. And if, you're not a fan of it. We understand because we, the plaid apron is not for every, and still to this day, we are not for everyone. Um, but we're going to stick to our guns and it is an education process for us, but just as much for the community. You know, I think that's, that's how we perceived ourselves. One of our kind of little catchphrase or slogans that we support a community that supports us. And that's from the farm to the restaurant to the mouth. Um, I really try not to use farm to table very much. I think it's turned in a very cliche sort of thing. Uh, I think it was, it was dead on, you know, seven, eight years ago when actually I felt like there was a little more revelation of that movement. And even when you go back to Alice Waters and for years, but I think in Knoxville, um, we were seeing restaurants that would buy local tomatoes from a very large that sells throughout the Southeast. And all of a sudden they were a farm to table restaurant when they had one thing. So it's, it's been a little frustrating. So for us, it's, it's, uh, we're supporting community that supports us through food. Yeah, doesn't get much better than that. And so um, what are you bringing from the plaid apron to the Beard House this evening? I'm bringing Knoxville. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Our first dish, um, I recently formed a relationship uh, with David, the chef and owner of Farm and Sparrow uh, and Soul Pizza in Asheville. Um, out of the blue, got a text. Um, there's a farmer there, Care of the Earth Farm, named Megan Allen, that she used to do a little bit of stuff at restaurants. Now it's strictly CSAs, and she'll grow seed. And uh, got a message, she was just like, hey, David wants to, is trying to get some of his flowers and whatnot because he had kind of helped the movement in western North Carolina for growing grains and stuff that is truly in 
uh, North Carolina. I mean, Asheville's an hour and 35 minutes from us, so it's not really that far, just over the mountains. And uh, he's like, hey, I want you to try this grit that Megan's growing. And I'm like, okay, tell me a little bit about it. He said, well, it's, a, it's called Cherokee White Eagle. It's a purple grit style corn. And he said, as far as I know, it hasn't been grown in over 100 years. I said, excuse me? He said, and I said, Megan's growing it? He said, yeah. And he said, you'll be the first one to have it. Wow. And I was like, okay, send it to me. Um, so from what, as far as I know, tonight um, will be the first time it's been served, unless somebody snuck in and got it before tonight. Uh, but uh, it's it's really cool. It's a very, it's not a sweet style grit. Um, I do use a local farmer there in town to for our grits that we use at the restaurant, um, but I felt like these, for a starter, for a first course, um, had a little more story, a little more history, uh, and it's always cool to see, particularly with Appalachian area, there's always a lot of push and shove to bring back seeds and there's a lot of lot of food history in that sense from the Cherokee Indians to going you know slaves crossing over and all sorts of stuff but um, this was just cool an opportunity to, to kind of feature it and uh, it's it's just kind of neat the history behind it but then I've also this dish will pretty much be completely from Knoxville um, my produce I got lucky been bugging one of my farmers who's got an awesome asparagus bed large asparagus bed a little more than an acre uh, which for a small farmer, that's a that's a lot of asparagus, and it literally sprouted four days before I got here, oh, and I got four pounds, and uh, that was about all he had. So I was like, "Bring it, we'll make it work." Um, so we're doing that, and then I've Heinz Valley Farm is John Ledbetter is someone that I've been working with since day one, and uh, he's been really good to me, and we'll play with some stuff when he can, but we'll be using some kale bolts and tayu, which is a Chinese leafy broccoli. We're just using the bulb end of it and uh, some green garlic, which is pretty awesome. And then he actually grew some uh, walking onions for me that I've turned into a vinaigrette that we're gonna address that. And uh, it'll be our first course with some pea shoots for another from, we've got a little cool little urban farm that they, um, I can't remember who sang the song, uh, tore a parking, parking lot and made it. Oh, uh, Johnny Mitchell. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they literally, uh, she and her investor, tore up a parking lot and we have a farm right outside of downtown Knoxville and I'm getting pea tendrils from her tonight and uh yeah then and then desserts not so much Knoxville because strawberries were just they're on delay right now they're on they're on sleepy vacation they're on groundhog time um so uh but we'll be doing a green green strawberry preserves uh olive oil cake with a coriander strawberry ice cream then I've got a little bit of dehydrated and freeze-dried ice cream or freeze-dried strawberries to garnish with. Um, so a little savory, not super sweet, kind of tart. Um, that's kind of, I love desserts, but I don't like sweet desserts. Um, we've got some really stellar wines to go with it, uh, thanks to H, H&B Wine Imports. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, I'm excited to be here. This is, you know, a high five for a chef anytime that um, you can, one, it's our, my first time in the Beard House, um, and it's just cool. It's all but Joseph, who won the Beard Award a few years ago, uh, it's his second run, but uh, it's always good, one, to have somebody that's been here so we can kind of quiz and be like, all right, what are we getting into? Um, but we we've all we all know each other. We all collaborate with each other. Um, when we have questions, it's always nice to have some feedback. And That's good. It sounds like a good community. Yeah, we. I mean, we're a small community, but we really are a good community. I mean, I, I still think Knoxville's got a ways to go, uh, but, man, we're moving in the right direction. I mean, we really are, and it's, it's exciting. It's taking a little longer than I had hoped for. Uh, the plaid apron will be seven years old in May. Happy birthday. So, yeah, blink of an eye. It seems like 
two weeks worth. But uh, so yeah, we're we're excited with where things are going. We're super excited to be here at the James Beard House. Excellent. Well, I have one last question for you. On your day off, <coughs> go. Where do you eat in Knoxville? Outside of your own kitchen at home. Yeah, it's funny. I, I cook a whole lot. Like I said, I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-year-old, and they eat what we eat. Any day of the week, they don't really have the option that they want a grilled cheese sandwich. It's usually denied unless we're all eating grilled cheese sandwiches. Um, I'm a huge Brian Strutz that owns Adopo Pizza. Um, it's been there a little more than a year now. Uh, is I mean, some of the best pizza I've ever had. And he's good to my boys when they come in and – uh, that's seriously that's probably the go-to spot it probably would be jesse who you'll talk to later with kaizen but he has the same hours as i do so we don't ever get to you don't partake. get to cross over yeah yes <laughs> um, but uh adopo there we've got we've got a neat little ethnic scene too there's a couple little vietnamese and uh chinese and asian places that are that are pretty delicious too so it's, it's kind of a unique little little hub that a lot of people don't realize that there's more than just southern food in Knoxville. it's a unique little Met- it's not a metropolis. I'm not even going to say that. A mini metropolis. Sure, sure. <laughs> we'll go micro, a bustling, micro metropolis. Bustling uh, yeah. city. Um, but Knoxville has everything you want and, and, and not the big city appeal. I mean, it's, it's got every, yeah, that's just it. It's a big city, but it doesn't feel like it. I love it. Well, I'll let you get back to the kitchen. I don't want to keep you too long, but thank much you so obliged. much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Next up for this episode of Heritage Radio Network on tour at the Knockout of Knoxville is Joseph Lynn. Thank you to our sponsor, Springer Mountain Farm, and Visit Knoxville for making this event possible. Our restaurant is called J.C. Holdway, uh, and it looks like you're coming up on two years. Having that been open, that's fantastic. Um, Joseph was the winner of Best Chef Southeast in 2013 from the James Beard Foundation. Uh, so congratulations, Joseph. It sounds like you are a veteran of the James Beard house and part of the family. So it must be really exciting to be back here with it some is. comrades from Knoxville. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, how you got started cooking. I heard that you your first job uh, in the food space was in a butcher shop. So what was it that you liked about that? Um, well, it's, it was a way to um, for me not to go to college for a little bit and waste some time and try to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And I just enjoyed that job so much um, that it became this thing where I would go and, uh, you know, the owner – He's a great friend of mine. He would he would say, uh, you know, have you ever had a veal chop before? And I was like, no. And so he's like, well, you should try one. They're great. And I was like, well, how do you cook it? He's like, just grill it. So went out and bought myself like a little Weber Smoky Joe grill because everybody was like, you know, meat on a charcoal grill or wood grill tastes better. So I tried that, and I was like, well, that's really good. And so um, that's just kind of how it started out, just cooking uh, for fun. And then it, it became to entertain friends and hang out, and I was the grill guy. And and then so everybody's like, you should look at going to culinary school. You're really good at cooking. And I was like, no way. I don't want to do that. And <laughs> it kind of turned out that that's what I did want to do. Um, I saw something in the Knoxville paper about chefs and then something on local news one day. They're both the same day. And um, I was really intrigued by it because it was before the Food Network was in our area in Knoxville. And so um, I was watching that and I was like, yeah, maybe that is what I want to do. And so... I called my dad, who was a guidance counselor, and was like, hey, I think I want to know what I want to do in life now. And he's like, okay. And uh, so I told him, uh, I said, I think I want to go to culinary school. And so he 
was very um, supportive and said, hey, we'll go look at Johnson Wells in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's what we did. I went there immediately, was like, this is what I want to do. And so went to school and uh, was fortunate that um, I got an internship at Blackberry Farm uh, between my first and second year. And that led to me working with some uh, great people. Uh, when I was there doing that, Sean Brock was helping the chef of Peninsula Grill at the time, and, and Sean and I hit it off really well, and so I wanted to go work at Peninsula Grill with him, and I was like, I want to work with cooks just like that. They're just intense and very focused, and so I went to work at Peninsula Grill, and he was a line cook there, and so we had a great time working there, and then it just kind of, you know, that fostered a relationship where he and I worked together in Nashville, and then after that I wanted to go back to Blackberry because I'd only done an internship there, and so went back there for like 10 years, and then I decided to open my own restaurant, so here I am. Here you are. <laughs> um, so you were the first Tennessee-based chef to win a James Beard Award. Correct. And I feel like that's really significant. Southern food seems to be having a renaissance right now. And from talking with your other collaborators at this event, it sounds like Knoxville is growing into a culinary presence in the South. So tell me a little bit about you know, what you love about Knoxville, and if you could describe the, the culinary scene and, and where you see it going, I'd love to hear that. Well, um, it, I think the scene's changed drastically, and some people in the area call it the Blackberry effect because a lot of us have worked at Blackberry and kind of ventured off to do our own thing, and, you know, Matt's one of those veterans, Drew is, myself, and there's, there's even more out there, and it's just kind of great. I mean, uh, there's a great pizza place, uh, called Adopo that uh, Brian Struts, he's, you know, doing fantastic pizza, using seasonally local produce. And I think that's been one of the biggest aspects is uh, the Knoxville Farmer's Market, uh, which is, uh, or Market Square Farmer's Market, which is a block away from my restaurant. Matt's restaurant's located on the square where they hold it. Um, and you'll see Drew out there with a the wagon and his kid and his wife, and they'll be out there getting produce from different vendors. And that's kind of really made it easier for the chefs to connect with other farmers because um, even working at Blackberry that was one of the struggles even though we had a working farm was you know we you know at that time we couldn't produce enough for both restaurants and so we had to rely on other farmers and it was just like this struggle to find people um, that is a big farming community and to find people that were growing and now it's this thing that all of a sudden there's just people like hey we have this stuff and um, pick Tennessee and all these other uh, resources to go and find that's kind of helped connect chefs and farmers so um, it's really helped take that off and then especially the market we have a winter market now as well and um, there's just a lot of people growing things so it, it's it's great for us so um, I think that's kind of helping elevate the scene before there was nothing and now there's these markets and uh, it's just really made our lives easier as chefs to be able to be connected to people that are growing great products excellent um, so I hear that everything at J.C. Holdway is cooked over a wood fire, which is, is that correct? Um, or is it just... Most dishes have most something dishes. that have, has been influenced by fire or smoke in, in some sort of sense or fashion on, on the menu. We try to really focus on that. Um, and why was that a flavor profile that was important to you to prioritize? Well, I think it started with... That, that kind of going back to getting into food, that flavor of fire. Um, I used to like to camp a lot and, and cook things over wood fire. I've got two cooks that work for me now, and they're huge campers, and they, like, just rock the grill. Like, they're the best at it, and it's because they like cooking outdoors, and so they're just kind of like, yeah, it's like camping out. So they really do well at it. But for me, it was just going back to that flavor, and then furthermore, um, 
at Blackberry we had wood burning grill and wood burning oven and those flavors just couldn't be replicated any other way and so um, I think in the region that we are with um, country ham and smokehouses and just kind of that heritage of people using that as a flavor profile and what we cooked that really kind of was what I wanted to do too and I just think that flavor is something that I love and um, so it's just I think it's reflective of the region and, and the style of food I like to cook so and people seem to have been enjoying it so yeah I think it's a Yotama Otolenghi says like every dish that you can add a charred flavor is improved which I I think I totally agree with that um so tell me about what you're cooking tonight and what it means to you in terms of Knoxville what is it what story does it tell about Knoxville um well it's the dish I'm doing tonight uh we're doing um a pork loin and shoulder uh, the shoulder's been confit in Benton's bacon vat and then pulled and pressed, and so we'll sear it so it's crispy. Um, and we're serving it with a ham hock broth made from Benton's ham hocks, uh, potatoes, uh, grilled ramps, and fiddlehead ferns. And the dish is kind of an homage to Alan Benton. Uh, he and I go on this ramp hunt every spring, and and he's, he and his wife will cook ham and bacon. And then all that fat, they then kind of cook ramps and then potatoes, and it's just like the best thing you've ever had. And so um, I was always like, I want to do a dish that's like captures that moment of like going on this hunt with them and uh, all the flavors of it. And so, I mean, when you're out in the woods, you can find the fiddleheads, uh, we find the ramps. So it's kind of like all these things just kind of in a refined dish. So it's kind of like a big, like, thanks, Alan, for all you do. And so it really honors him, uh, and that's kind of was the inspiration behind the dish. Um, so it should be tasty. We're also doing a, a snack of uh, chicken croquettes with Carolina gold rice and um, green garlic aioli. So it's just kind of things that are in the season. Uh, the chicken's kind of like dish kind of take on smothered chicken, but all in one bite uh, with the sauce is just super tasty of the spring. It actually came from a friend of mine's garden they have green garlic right now um she's actually here at the dinner tonight so it's kind of exciting so we put it on the menu like uh hat and dan's green garlic so she's been a great photographer friend uh for years and uh so anyway it's kind of like hey thanks for letting us have this and they're like we have tons of green garlic and garlic chives if y'all need them i said yeah we'll take it so it's kind of one of those things that like if somebody has just a little something we can use we, we use it and find a way to it on the menu. That sounds so delicious. And did you go out and pick the ramps and fiddleheads for our meal tonight? <laughs> not, not yet. They're they're a little early. I had okay. to order some in, unfortunately. But typically, uh, I would go do that. Like last year for the restaurant, we we picked all but um, one week. We I went and got all the ramps for the restaurant. Um, so it was kind of fun being able to go do that. And we ended up actually clipping all the roots and replanting those. Uh, my parents have a cabin in, in North Carolina and we've actually planted a hillside and they've started coming up. So it's kind of cool that we're able to take you know, the roots and replant and, and then kind of repurpose them. And uh, it, for me, it's like, yeah, I always have a little spot to go find some. So it's kind of exciting to be able to have those there. So. Well, that's great that you've got your hands in the process kind of from the dirt to the plate. That's yeah really I think that was thing. it was it was kind of a learning thing for me at, at Blackberry having a working farm there um the point we've even got a couple little plots in, in the old city of Knoxville uh there's an urban garden there and we have two plots for stuff that we grow for the restaurant whether it's flowers for the tables um so just something simple like radishes but it's just something that we have to have a little bit more connection to downtown and that's also that same plot is where we get um Abby it's a 
a farming group called Abbey Fields and it's urban gardens. So they grow lettuces for the restaurants. Like all, all four of us use them. Um, they grow amazing like little pea shoots. Um, but it's just really cool because they're like, what do you want us to grow? And we're like, that's so cool that you're like <laughs> looking at the interstate and there's a big, huge farm right there next to it. So Maybe you can plan your menu ahead. Yeah, it, it's great. So it's kind of like where my little garden is. I go and I like peek and see what they've got coming in so we can kind of start planning ahead. Like we just changed a pork dish to have these uh, great greens that they've got right now are like red Russian kale and uh, they're just you know small little two to three inch leaves and beautiful and so I was like oh, I want to use those so anyway I, I was talking to her when she came in the restaurant she's like yeah we can just pick those if that's what you want so it's just this cool again that relationship with your farmer and knowing you know hey that's what we want to use and so it's kind of cool and I think that's what makes smaller cities and cities that are closer to farmland so special when it comes to food because you can have that that sense of community and collaboration. Um, and I don't want to keep you too much longer because I'm sure you have a lot of work to do to prepare for tonight. But I asked Drew this question, and he actually mentioned uh, the pizza place is it Adobo. Correct. Um, so I challenged you to come up with someone different, but I had asked uh, if it's your day off and you're home in Knoxville, where do you go out to dinner? Um. Well, the, the tough thing is all of us are closed on the same <laughs> day, so that's why we all end up at Adopo. It's funny, you'll run into Jesse there. Matt's also open. On, he's open on Sunday, so I go to Amelia sometimes as well. Um, it's funny, uh, we end up going to other restaurants too, like David Chang kind of blew up one of my favorite spots called Asia Kitchen. It was this little strip mall uh, Chinese restaurant, and it just ended up being on Ugly Delicious, and now everybody knows about it, but it's kind of like our favorite little place to go, and uh, there's another place we go for tacos called La Esperanza that's um, not too far from downtown. It's it's delicious as well. But I don't know. We just kind of we go to each other's restaurants and but Adopo is yeah like Drew said. But those other two restaurants are two of my favorites too. Excellent. So yeah, I'm just counting on you guys to plan my trip, my first trip to Knoxville. You can tell me all the places I need to go there's, aside from obviously your restaurant. Yeah, there's great places to eat and great you know. There's awesome, you know, art museum and uh, the outdoors is just like the best thing about living in East Tennessee. Mountains, lakes. Um, there's a lot of outdoor center. Like uh, we have great mountain biking trails and all. It's just fun outdoor stuff if you're into that kind of thing. And, and really close to downtown Knoxville, so um, it's it's a pretty special place to be right now. Excellent. Well, I definitely want to come visit soon. Thank you so much for sure. coming up from the kitchen. I appreciate it. Uh, Joseph, Len, I'm so excited to taste what you have for us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next interview here at the James Beard House for the Knockout of Knoxville, made possible by Springer Mountain Farms and Visit Knoxville, is Chef Jesse Newmister. Okay, so I am sitting down now with Jesse Newmister. Um, who is the executive chef and owner of Kaizen Kitchen. Um, which Kaizen. Is a, Kaizen, excuse Sorry. I was going to ask you about the pronunciation. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. You got me. the last name right, though, which is... Yeah, did you feel like Newmeister? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay, so Kaizen Kitchen, which is a Japanese-inspired restaurant in downtown Knoxville. Um, and I guess this leads me into my first question for you. Tell me about the concept of Kaizen and what it means to your cooking. Um, so Kaizen, the term, actually means like a continuous improvement uh, it's just like a process of always improving and looking at like everybody has valuable input and um and so that's something i guess that's a philosophy i've kind of always had but never been able to put a word to it but that, that's like a philosophy that i've kind of i guess always carried like through since since i first became a chef um 
but I've, I've never had a word for it. And I can't remember how I came across that word. I know it's really big in like engineering circles and whatnot. Um, but so I just wanted to apply that philosophy to the restaurant. And then plus like when I got the space, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to kind of like stretch and diversify um, what offerings there were in downtown Knoxville. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something geared towards like Southeast Asian ingredients. Um, not necessarily like we don't do any like authentic Asian food, um, but it's all using those ingredients and then just using techniques that I have that I've learned along the way. So, um, so that, that was like the main thing was just like diversifying the cuisine in Knoxville, like helping to add to that diversification. And, um, and then also the space is really small. And so when I was looking at like inspirations, I was thinking about like food stalls, um, mainly in, in Japan and Thailand and Vietnam. Um, and then I came across uh, izakayas. I'd never heard of izakayas before. And so I started reading into those. And that concept's pretty cool. So we, we kind of, you know, we've borrowed from, from a few different um, inspirations. That's and always a good thing. Wow, the motorcycles are the, going crazy. Speaking of Thailand, yeah, all motorbikes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's all kind of worked. Um, you know, that I, I think it's easy to, like, my vision was always, like, pretty clear going into it. It was just, like, I needed to see hardcore examples and pull from that to build something, so. And I think sometimes having the language before you have the concept can yeah, kind of yeah, help yeah. set yourself up for yeah. success, and it sounds like the concept of Kaizen makes it so that change is your friend, and you can adapt and yeah. grow. One of the hard things has been, like, so we opened with Izakaya in our name, and then I realized like we weren't really holding true to what that was. Like Izakaya is usually have very, very large menus of small bites, and and we do have a really large sake menu, which a lot of them have. Um, but I just couldn't offer like that large of a menu because my kitchen's I don't know 100 square feet, and um, and there were some larger dishes I wanted to do. So that it trying to like keep. Pe- keep people from like being confused when they come in they think they're in like an authentic izakaya it's like we're not that but it's just yeah that's the inspiration so so you're originally from indiana right what brought you to knoxville why why did is that the place where you hung your hat um i had actually never been to knoxville before i moved there i'd driven through it a few times my dad lives in south carolina so you drive basically north side of knoxville before you cut over to to north carolina and go south um so i've never really been there stayed in Pigeon Forge once. I remember watching the OJ chase in Pigeon Forge. That's the only <laughs> reason I remember it. Um, An important memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was the OJ chase. I'm not sure. But um, but it, I was basically going into it blindly. But some friends of mine that I'd worked with in Charleston, you know, they, one of them had a sister that lives in Knoxville, still lives there, and she had wanted to open a brasserie. And I'd, Already left Charleston, moved back to Louisville to finish school, culinary school, and um, I got a call from them to see if they wanted to come to Knox. If I wanted to come to Knoxville, be a sous chef at a brasserie, and I was like, "Sure." I didn't question it. I mean, it was my first opportunity to chef position. I knew who I was going to be working for and working with. Um, just felt good about it, and been there since '05. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, and I also read that your mother was a Spanish teacher. Yes. So I'm curious. It looks like on the menu at Kaizen, it's a lot of small plates, kind of tapas style portions. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, like, if your 
familiarity growing up with Spanish culture helped to influence your menu? Yeah, that that did have a lot to do with it. Um, and if you look at like other cultures throughout the world, like there's a lot of small plate drinking food. Um, but Spanish tapas was my first introduction into that. And, um, and going to Spain and like going on a tapas crawl was like, yeah, it's kind of life changing. Just like, just seeing just how much food and drinking play into like the nightlife and the revelry and, and, and just like meeting strangers and like, they were f- real quick friends, you know. Um, and strangely enough, too, like growing up in Little Terre Haute, Indiana, there was like a pretty diverse culture there. With there's multiple universities, um, so I had a lot of friends whose parents were from Syria, Philippines, out from the Philippines. Um, there's just people from like all over. So having that, I guess, like a little bit of a worldview to start, I, I think has really helped. Um, yeah, I think a chef with a a diverse background of experiences is going to yeah. do nothing but enhance your your menu. Um, so I guess, how would you describe this culinary moment in Knoxville? I know from traveling around and talking to chefs, it seems like Southern cuisine is in a renaissance right now where people are gaining a deeper appreciation yeah. for it. So how does that look like in, in Knoxville? Um, I mean, I, I feel like the growth has been really organic there. Um, but yeah, we're having a really good moment. I, and a lot of it's attributed to the three other guys I'm cooking with. Um, you know, Joseph, especially in Blackberry Farms, like a lot of their alums have moved to Knoxville and, um, and just, you know, this, um, the culinary world, like you network so quickly. And so the people that work really hard, tend to like get around other people that work really hard and so the people that like left blackberry like coming back um to work for these guys and it's it's been great like it's brought a lot of really good talent to knoxville so nice yeah um and tell me about what it is that you're cooking tonight at the beard house and and what story does it tell about kaizen and about knoxville um so i actually just kind of did some changes to my dishes last night i had to email victoria at like 11 <laughs> 30 um but that's see, it's room for improvement, right? It's yeah. Kaizen. Yeah. Always improvement. Um, so the appetizer is a sticky rice. Like it's kind of similar to a blini. The dough, I just learned how to make a few weeks ago from a woman from Malaysia who owns a, a restaurant in Knoxville. Um, we've gone there for a dim sum day on Sunday and tried this dumpling. I was like, will you show me how to make this? So she came into my restaurant two days later and showed me how to make it. And, um, and it's going to have some chopped chicken livers with lap chang, so Chinese sausage, um, and then some cruise farm, sour cream. Cruise farm is a dairy farm in Knoxville that makes incredible buttermilk. Um, so how was it traveling with buttermilk? Uh, well, I already had, so the cream's already cultured. They do okay. naturally cultured buttermilk. And my wife actually brought that this morning. <laughs> I, I had forgotten it. We, all of us just checked coolers. Like we had our mise en place just ready to go. Um, so that dish, I mean, you know, I've got Springer Mountain Farm livers, which are delicious, uh, the Cruise Farms, and it, I kind of like, it's a little bit of a nod to New York, too, with the blinis and sour cream and chopped liver. Um, Perfect. We appreciate it. And I, I hope New York likes it. Um, and then the entree is, I'm doing a, a foie gras pâté. Um, foie gras is one of my favorite ingredients to work with. And it's getting served with a... Uh, a mushroom cow soy. There's a place in Knoxville they grow mushrooms like just for chefs, and 
so they had made a special blend of mushrooms for me for this trip and um and so the mushroom gravy is actually cow soy which is a northern thai soup um my wife and i just went to thailand in january and it was one of our favorite things we ate um but it's also a really soulful soup and when you're making it like with the shrimp paste and everything it kind of has the smells of it kind of remind me of like new orleans like cajun cuisine um and which is pretty southern to me so i don't know it's a good it's a good nod i think to the south even though it's a northern thai dish um but just that like soulfulness in the cuisine you know mm-hmm. and i like finding that in different cultures so yeah the parallels yeah. are always really beautiful yeah um okay. look to the latitudes for the parallels oh you know? yeah so is knoxville on the same parallel as we Japan? are yeah we're or pretty close to tokyo's parallel i believe Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. We're on then. the seventy-fifth. Like no, thirty-five. I can't remember. I I believe you. I think it's thirty-five. <laughs> we'll Google it later. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked. I've been asking everyone this because I think it's really funny. I think it sounds like all of you guys have the same go-to restaurant in Knoxville. So when it's your night off, mm-hmm. where do you go to eat? I've heard adobo twice now. Well, just third time's a charm, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. Because I mean they're open on Sundays and Mondays, yeah. um, and a lot of us are restaurants. I know Matt's Amelia is open on Sunday nights, um, but all of us are closed on Sundays and Mondays. So that's it. And what are you excited to eat here in New York? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we just kind of whenever me and my wife go to a big city, we don't really plan a whole lot. So like last time we came to New York, she she surprised me for my birthday, and it was the greatest weekend. So we ended up just getting into Co. Like the you day just before. Wandered in. Yeah, well, yeah, we got in on a Thursday. My birthday was Saturday. Got into Co. And then went to the comedy cellar that night. Dave Chappelle walked in. So I was like, oh and my then God. I went and saw a Tribe Called Quest the next day. Um, that sounds like a really good birthday. It was a good weekend. Yeah. It was pretty good. It's going to be hard to top. Uh, but here, I mean, it's like you always have a short list of places you want to go. Mm-hmm. But then again, I was like just wandering into places and see what happens. Um, Went to Impey on last night, the taqueria, and it was fantastic. So nice. Yeah. They've been getting a lot of really good attention. Yeah. And yeah, what'd you eat? Uh, I had the fried duck tacos with habanero honey and shrimp ceviche with ají dulce peppers, ají dulce peppers, and the mezcal margarita. That sounds really good. It was really good. Um, so is there anything specific that you're excited about on the menu at Kaizen coming up this summer? There's a couple of things. I don't, I mean, we change and tweak our menu pretty frequently. Um, I'd say at least every two weeks there's, even if it's just an ingredient coming off or something like, or something being added, but so it's always been kind of a constant change. I, we do always look forward to, um, so the, the market square farmer's market's probably the biggest farmer's market in Knoxville and it's a block and a half away from the restaurant. So, and it's Wednesdays and Saturdays. So, just like whatever's being offered there is always fun to work with. Um, and then I'm actually getting ready to open a second restaurant oh, in a couple months. So I've been like slowly handing the reins over to the existing staff at Kaizen. Um, to be in a really small restaurant, it's like easy to manage. We've got a really great staff. So um, I think they look forward to me going out of town a lot. And I look forward to them looking forward to that. So, um, uh, And is it too soon to ask what we can expect for your new restaurant? Uh, maybe a little too soon. Okay. But so it we'll, is... We'll circle back. It is adjacent. Like, we share a roof with a music venue. Um, it's a, one of the newer club spaces. And my wife is the GM, 
of the venue. Um, so I think it's going to be a really unique music experience having the restaurant that we're going to be building there. Um, and I think the touring acts are going to really like it because they can come in and sit down. They already have like one of the nicest green rooms you can think of. Uh, so they can come down and eat and I don't know. I know they work hard. So Cool. Well, yeah. you'll have to keep us posted once yeah. you open and, and tell us what to expect. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. I'm sure you've got work to do downstairs, but yeah. thank you, Jesse Neumeister, for you, coming Hannah. and chatting. And uh, I can't wait to taste what you have in store for us tonight. Yeah, look forward to it. Great. And we are back at the knockout of Knoxville at the James Beard House today. Um, we've moved outside because it is the very first beautiful day in April, so you'll hear some birds chirping in the background as opposed to the motorcycles that we had before. Uh, and I'm excited to sit down with Matt Gallagher, who is the chef at Knox Mason and Amelia, which are sister restaurants in Knoxville. Um, Knox Mason is a seasonably focused menu highlighting um, southern cuisine and all of the beautiful produce that they have in the area, while Amelia celebrates the cuisine of the Amelia Romanga region in Italy. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Emilia Romagna. Romagna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, so, Matt, I hear that you started cooking as a child on your family farm. So, what was the first dish that you made that really blew your friends and family away? Um, I'm not sure if it's... You felt proud of You know what? When um, I remember my brother's two years older, and I remember um, one day his friends were over, and I made some sort of pasta, spaghetti with something, and... Um, they enjoyed it, uh, except for one of his friends realized it had mushrooms in it and punched me, <laughs> but, uh, punched me in the arm. Not a you know, not an assault by any means, but um, but you know the fact that my older brother and his friends uh, that my food was worthy of you know that they enjoyed it, uh, you know, that was a, a somewhat uh, significant memory, I guess. Yeah, you always want to impress your older brother and. Well, yeah, as long as no one punches you. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and nobody's punched me for my cooking since, I don't think. That's good. I was yeah, going to follow yeah, up with I that question. Um, yeah, we'll make sure tonight there's no exception to that. Yeah, but I think back then, you know, the way I was cooking uh, is somewhat similar to the way I cook now in that I would just raid the pantry and, you know, make something up. And so um, uh, having not ever gone to culinary school, I don't feel like I've ever had the barriers or the structure um, in, in that way and it allowed myself to kind of be creative. Excellent. And I'm sure living on a farm, was there, was it a working farm? Was there produce available that you could play with? My mom had two, two separate gardens. Um, so yeah, lots of produce. Uh, we had animals at the time, you know, over the years, but nothing that we ever really had to tend to. We had uh, a chicken and rabbits and a sheep and horses, but nothing that was ever, you know, kind of raised for our, for our consumption. Excellent. And I have to say, one of my favorite parts of your bio, which I'm sure you are maybe a little tired of talking about, is that you uh, were, for a long time, cooked for musicians while they were on tour. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that must, you know, cooking on the go right. must teach you so much about how to run a restaurant kitchen, because I'm sure you're beyond adaptable. Right, right. Um, yeah, my, so I, I did start cooking with my mom, or my mom started a catering company and two small restaurants when I was, started when I was about nine years old, and by the time I was 12 years old, I was working, you know, five days a week in the restaurant, not really cooking, but helping out in all aspects, but um, she's kind of a self-taught, uh, kind of a, you know, entrepreneur, you know, always doing something, always working, and so, um, so her influence is kind of influenced me quite a bit in that um, I can be creative, I can be nimble, uh, adaptable, um, 
you know, push through, make it happen. Um, yeah, so, so cooking on the road, um, I spent four years at Blackberry Farm prior to cooking on the road, and that's very structured and very uh, buttoned up and very precise. And you have many people, many days prepping to make a single dish. Uh, and then you get on the road and uh, you go shopping every morning and you have to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, and execute it all that day and then start over the very next day. So uh, the luxury of having a couple of days to simmer a veal stock or, or you know, some of those things that, we, that I got used to as a cook um, had to put on, you know, on the back burner and, and be creative uh, with the uh, resources I had. Um, but it was, it was a, a job that I, I know a lot of people don't get to do and uh, I never took it for granted. I loved uh, almost every minute of it. You know, it, it's challenging, um, but, um, but it's a lot of fun and I got to see the world and, um, um, you know, being able to be paid to travel is, is a luxury not many people get to, get to experience. Excellent. Do you have any um, good stories from the road that you're allowed to tell about some of your clients? I'm, I'm always curious um, about... You know, is it what happens on tour stays on tour? You know, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Um, there's all, I mean, every day is crazy in some way. Um, you know, some of the, some of the most significant memories are, are the, the challenging parts. Um, we were in, um, set up in a tent in Idaho, and um, a dust storm came through and kind of wiped out most of the kitchen, which was, we had to retreat. You know, they evacuated us, and so we lost most of dinner that night. So we had to be creative on how to feed the crew with, you know, limited resources at that point. Um, but, you know, something's always happening. You know, buses breaking down on the side of the road in the middle of the night and figuring out how you're going to get to the next city to cook, you know, because um, the show must go on, as they say. That They do say that. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the same is true in a restaurant. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about balancing two different restaurants, two different concepts, two different menus. Um, and do you see parallels in this regional um, Emilia Romagno cuisine to the American South. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, um, you know, the, the challenges of, of balancing two restaurants, um, you know, I have to be available to my people. And um, I have, I think, 46 employees currently between the two. And um, it just takes a lot of good people. And so I have great people and they, um, they know I'm there to support them. But I'm also able to be in New York right now on a Friday night where we're going to be very busy at both restaurants. So uh, it takes great people. And I, I very much appreciate my, my crew for that. Um, but yeah, what drew me to, to Italy and specifically Emilia Romagna is the ingredients. Um, it's very ingredient driven cuisine, very seasonal. Um, and you know, Appalachian cuisine is poor people food. And so, uh, you know, our, our, you know, histories and our ancestors in the Smokies had to be, um, really resourceful and very creative and, and use every part of the animal and preserve and pickle and do everything they could to, to survive basically. And so I'm, I feel like I've wanted to honor that in Knox Mason. Um, and so in peak season, we rely heavily on our farmer's market and our local farmers. And in peak season, the last at least three years that I've done the study, we've spent 70% of our dollars on local and regional farms, which is a challenge, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun challenge. Um, and Emilia-Romagna specifically, I was drawn to that region because that's where I feel like many of the iconic ingredients in Italian cuisine come from. So Parmesan, Pecorino, uh, prosciutto, balsamic vinegar, mortadella, like all these building blocks of Italian cuisine come from this one region and so um, uh, so that's kind of how as I was studying Italian food you know I think I went through about 60 cookbooks in a, in a year um, you know this Emilia Romagna region kept popping up over and over um, and my grandmother uh, her my maternal grandmother's name is Emily and so Emilia is the Italian version of Emily so in my mind we were trying to bridge southern hospitality with uh, with some handmade Italian cuisine. 
Yeah, that's, it makes sense. I feel like the sense, the climate and the sensibility is similar. Have you spent some time in Italy and gotten very, to learn about it? Very bit? little, very little. Uh, when we were on, when I was on tour, I got to spend a couple of days in Italy. Um, uh, came up to New York about four years ago and um, at the International Chefs Congress and did some pasta workshops and some things like that. So, um, but mostly I'm self-taught in many ways. I've had great mentors, but no culinary school. So books have always been a great resource for me. And then just getting in the kitchen and figuring out what works. Yeah, you learn by doing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you're preparing for us tonight and what story does it tell about your restaurants and about Knoxville? Yeah, so, so I'm doing one canapé and the pasta course tonight. Um, and in the canapé, we are taking a rice flour batter. Um, we get rice uh, for Knox Mason from Anson Mills in South Carolina. And um, we love Anson Mills. Yeah, it's <laughs> wonderful. Um, and so, just take, taking some of the very early spring vegetables, really light, super crispy batter. And then I bought some chilies at our farmers market on Saturday. Fermented those this week and made a little uh, fermented chili aioli uh, with that. So that's kind of a, um, you know, the Knox Mason contribution to the di to the uh, to the dinner and then um, the pasta course is going to be a squid ink didilini which is tiny tiny little pasta um, we're going to cook it risotto style with some uh, shellfish stock um, we're folding in sea urchin butter um, some smoked San Marzano tomatoes some jumbo lump crab and then uh, ramps are just now in season so um, as of like this week so uh, I've got uh, some foraged ramps, and then a little Calabrian chili at the end, just for a little heat. Mm, that sounds really, really good. Um, so I guess I've been seeing a lot, I feel like past couple years, Southern cuisine is having a renaissance, and I think the rest of the country and the rest of the world is learning to appreciate it and to see it as more than just, you know, fried food and right. mac and cheese. Um, and I'm so curious to see how that's, to hear how that's manifesting in Knoxville. Like, what, what is the culinary scene like there right now? Well, I can't, I can't overstate how important our farmer's market is to our restaurants. And uh, the four chefs here tonight, myself included, um, we all rely heavily on the farmer's market, the Market Square Farmer's Market, which is the center of our downtown. Um, I'm on the board. I'm on fourth, in my fourth year of being on the board of the nonprofit that administers the farmer's market. So uh, it's something both restaurants rely heavily on, um, something I'm very passionate about. Um, and our 15th anniversary is in May. So it's a market that has been around for longer than downtown Knoxville has had uh, any sort of culinary scene. Wow, that's awesome. And so our philosophy when we opened Knox Mason is that we're a small restaurant and we want to work with small farms and we want to grow together. And in our we're in our sixth year. And so we've seen that relationship, those relationships uh, grow. And when our beef farmer was only processing two, two steers a week, um, he's now processing three, and he has the potential to do more. So if a small farmer can increase his production 50% just from the support of a couple of small restaurants, um, that's huge. It's a win-win. We get great product uh, from a great farm, and he's able to prosper a little bit. So um, those relationships are super important, and I think, I think um, the, the farmer's market has to be you know, kind of the focal point of that growth in our culinary scene. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that it's a symbiotic relationship that is benefiting the community, it's benefiting all of the growers and makers, right. as well as obviously enriching the culture and giving everyone who lives there exposure to all of this amazing right, food. Right, right. And, and I've been all over the world, and I've been to farmer's markets in many countries, uh, in many cities, and, um, you know, the Santa Monica farmer's market's hard to compete with. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible, but for, for, for our region and for the size of our town, 
Uh, our market is incredible. I mean, there's a waiting list. There's a years-long waiting list to be a vendor at the market, and it's producer-only. So there's no, you know, you can't get a bottle of water. You, you mean, it's, it's uh, our executive director, Charlotte, is uh, very strict, as she should be, and so it's producer-only. So uh, there's nothing being brought in from out of town or out of state. It's all, it's all super local. I love it. I, I feel like I am gearing up to have a really good visit to Knoxville yeah, sometime yeah, soon because be everyone has been telling me so many great things. And I've asked all the other chefs this, and I have gotten the same answer from every single one of you. So I'm going to ask you, on your night off, where do you go for dinner? Um, I'll give you a hint what everyone else said. Well, I, I, I think I know. <laughs> uh, I would probably, probably say it would be my, my buddy Brian's... Uh, restaurant adopo mm -hmm. yeah yes that is yeah. the consensus yeah i hope brian's listening to this we we love you brian well you'll have to send him the episode <laughs> because he gets like a shout out from yeah. every single yeah. chef here it's incredible yeah and brian brian's a great guy he's, he's got a great restaurant um i don't get out to eat as much as i would like but when i do he makes an enduya that he hasn't shared the recipe with me yet but uh i crave it and mm. i don't crave many foods so he's doing something right that's fantastic well, I will let you get back to the kitchen, sure. Matt. Um, but thank you so much for stepping out and joining us. Um, and for anyone visiting Knoxville, they should visit Matt Gallagher at Knox Mason and Amelia. Yep. Thanks, Matt. Sounds great. And that concludes our coverage of HRN on tour at the James Beard House here for the Knockout of Knoxville, which is an evening highlighting culinary talent from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, thank you so much to Visit Knoxville and Springer Mountain Farms for making this coverage possible and putting this beautiful night together. I'm Hannah Forden for Heritage Radio Network.